Here we go. Let's pray. One, two, three. Let's go. O Lord God Almighty, who does every year renew the face of the earth and whose will it is to bring a fallen world back to you, we beg you now, let us see your Son as the dawning of true life and in him share in your new creation who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. All right, good to see all of you. Kirby's had enough, apparently. What? That can happen. That can happen in a marriage. You, know, you just kind of run out over the edge. Uh, hey, so a couple of things. I mean, the organ, of course, is fun. So well done, musicians. John Crow, everybody who was in charge. It's not me. I mean, it's, uh, but th- and thanks to you for putting money up for it. It's fun. I, uh, you know, I, I talked to Nathan a little bit about it. He said it's a little bit like it's not been tuned to his feel yet. So it'll only get better, and that's, that's very, very nice. So, you know, it was a long wait, but... It was very, very nice. Only, only, and the choir was fabulous, and the sound pushes out a little better. We'll get some things figured out, but it's very nice. Now, you were all kind enough. We made a handshake deal years ago, five years ago, six years ago, um, when we, or that our other organ would go to one of our former interns and a very fine pastor, Mark Burkholz, in his congregation. So this was the last page, I know, on Life Together, but I also put it here for you. On the 6th of May, they would love if some of you could come along as they dedicate their new organ, they're very excited. And they had an organ that was really, they just cobbled it together for years. And we kept putting back the time when we were going to be done. And finally, it moved out on Tuesday. So this is all we've got. And we have to make the best of it. But I think we're going to be fine. Uh, however, if you'd like to come on the 6th of May at 3 PM, they're very grateful. And even this, you see, is a way of outreach and actually mercy that you know the organ was probably, I don't know, ten or $12,000. But John Crow had done a great job of keeping it fixed up, and it was just, it was just in pristine shape. And they came and, you know, we're going to help a little bit with the moving costs and stuff because we have, we have money to do that now because you were very kind and you tithe and you give money to the capital campaign. And so this is just another place where we can immediately, you know, um, when we talked about what do we do next immediately there, can we, can we give more money to missions? Well, I mean, here's fifteen dollars or $20,000 that you can think about it as supporting a church in a changing neighborhood that none of us go to where they don't have a lot of money. And, you know, even that is a kind of mission. So you can kind of tack that on the budget when you add up the score next year. So it's very, very nice that we're able to do this. Thank you for doing that. Um, any questions just about that? So I don't know anything about the organ, but you see that you have the possibility of coming to sing and then coming to learn. Nathan will teach a couple of Bible studies this Sunday for you people who really want to end up being organ nerds, basically. We have a degree in that here. You can get a certificate and hang it on your wall. We'll make it, it'll look good, don't worry. So anyway, think about that. Then, you know, from the New Yorker, it's always fun when things happen. This is uh, where our vestments are from, Gamarelli. So uh, you remember the story, it was cheaper to go to Rome and buy the vestments from this place. Uh, The combination of not the markup plus the combination of a strong dollar at the time when we bought it, it was cheaper to go to Rome and buy vestments than it was to buy them in America because there were, for for equal quality, there there aren't very many church suppliers, and so they can charge you a lot of money for, you know, like pastor's black shirts, you know, they're really expensive. You kind of get a T-Wiz, really? Uh, but it's interesting that, and they actually, the guy in here, Stefano Gamarelli, that's our guy. So when we call, it's like, Stefano, it's, it's those Lutherans from Wheaton, right? <laughs> he does actually remember us because we had to have something replaced a couple of years ago. I said, you know, I sort of said, do you remember, we, you know, you can't say you remember we were there because as you can see, it's a tourist attraction too. But you do, th- this is exactly what happened to us. We stood in a room, 
things off, on, hands up. It was, you know, fabric samples and this and that. And what we, the silk that we have is a proprietary uh, trademark of Gamarelli. Like people who know stuff can look at that and say, oh, that's from Gamarelli. So it's very, very nice that we have this. And it's very interesting. And he did say the same thing. We did, you know, everybody asks the questions like, how, do, how does this work? And he gave us the same answer, which he said, we go to the Pope, everybody else comes to us, which is, in fact, what happens. <laughs> So, and it was interesting because when I walked in, there was, this is now this little history, there were just, it looked like bookshelves, and there are just plain, plain wrapped brown paper things. And it just happens that both times, two or three times I've been there, both times, last, both the last two times I've been there, stuff has been, but the day that we ordered this, there was a package, it just said on the top, Father Burke. And uh, it was Raymond Burke, who had been an American, who was elevated to be a cardinal, uh, that was his stuff. Like this is like his new Nikes and his gym shorts were in that thing. He could, because he goes to this place and they dress up, right? And so, and now he's out of favor with the new pope. You know, he's been banished to Malta, and it's you know the intrigue is so amazing. Well, anyway, this all happens. So next time you're in, next time you're in Rome, okay, when you come out of the Pantheon, turn right, go to the gelato stand, turn right again. And it almost, and then turn right again. And it almost feels like there's nothing there. It's, it's, you come out of the door, you turn right, you turn right. You, it's basically you'd be walking around to the back door of the Pantheon. There's nothing else in between. And you get there, and there's this little, and the doorway is about as big as, I mean, you, you see how narrow it is there. I mean, it really is just what you see there. It's about as big as that door, and they always kind of pass stuff there. And then a single door, and you walk in, and it's not very big. But it's just, it's just like it's dignified. And you walk in, you go, hmm. Now, I did, in fact, wear my Gamarelli socks for Easter, the black ones. You remember Joe Holm, our former vicar? Yeah, he bought the red ones. That's just a little showy, right? And he wears them. He bought the bishop socks. I'm like, but I, you know, you got to love him. He's a, he's, a, he's a wonderful guy, right? So you could, but you could ask him, ask him why he's wearing those red socks, because, you know, um, they are, they are fabulous. So, and you do hear people going in. They, if they love their priest when they're in Rome, they stop and buy them socks at Camarelli. It's just a, it's just a fascinating. Because what are you going to buy a priest, right? What, a button-down with a nice pinstripe? No, he's got, they don't like neckties. They like this. So, um, all right. Um, that sort of takes us to the next thing. That Everybody okay? You got questions about anything else? Anything you need or want to do, want to know? Thanks to the guys who dug in the dirt yesterday. I mean, there are guys up here all day long. There's a fabulous number of volunteers in all directions doing all sorts of things. We have, um, you know, just so you know, we have John is kind of a master of keeping, uh, there's always three or four or five projects, you know. So the organ comes kind of off the list now, and then that means another thing can happen. But we can only play to the um, organizational ability and, frankly, the volunteer strength. And even though, um, you know, one or two guys might be able to come all the time, everybody can't come all the time. So we have to... Uh, John does a good job of calculating how fast projects can go. But in a congregation, it's always important to show motion. You have to show motion so people feel um, good. So you feel like, I mean, like today, it's just such a nice day. You come in, and it's beautiful, and it's happy. The choir sounds great, and everybody sings, and, you know, Nathan plays well. It's just it's so you always want to have things like this to look forward to. And it's it's just very nice. So there'll be there'll be more things coming. You kind of watch for them. I mean, we have a long list, as you saw in the capital campaign. There's ten or twelve things 
that'll take us four or five years to kind of work them all through. And that's fine. Everything just sort of gets pushed forward. So keep volunteering. Be patient. You know, when, time, when there's times to do big things, then come and do big things, and life will be good. Um, so anyway, keep going. Keep going. This is just a fun story. If you look at this Caravaggio in front of you, it's a, uh, Caravaggio is a bit of a rogue. I don't know if you know his story. But his paintings were just phenomenal. When you stand in front of them, I just talked to somebody, I had lunch with somebody this week who, for the first time, had been in Rome. There's a church, if you come out of the, if you're not going to go to Gamorelli's and you don't turn right, you can go up and turn left, walk two blocks and turn right. And there's a French church that Luther apparently visited when he was there. And inside there, on the last stall on the right, there are um, two, perhaps three, Caravaggios there. One is the brilliant one where he's calling St. Matthew, and he has his hand out the way. The hand is out in the Sistine Chapel where God is touching Adam. Jesus is extending his hand to Matthew, follow me. And on the other side is the Paul being knocked off his horse on the road to Damascus and being blinded by the sight. I mean, they are, they are earthly beautiful, embracing sort of things. And you get this same thing. I mean, you're going to meet Jesus someday. I don't know if you're going to be able to do this, right? What he's doing. Well, look what he's doing, right? He's like, and like, he's, like Jesus says to him, the verb is thrust your hand inside me. And he, you know what? He actually does what he's told. So I want to try to redeem Thomas just a little bit today. Um, Caravaggio, by the way, was accused of murder, fled. He played a lot of cards, drank hard, a lot of mistresses, and was eventually himself murdered, I think, in his mid-30s. Anna knows that. Is that mid-30s? Was that right, 37? Somewhere in that region. Yeah, right. That's right. He had, apparently, Malta is the place to go. Who knew? Wow. So anyway, that, so anyway, here it is, though. I mean, just look at this. You sort of look at this. Now, I would just, I would just suggest to you, this is not the worst thing that could happen to you, right? This is not the worst thing that could happen to you. There is a, a and it is, called, it is titled the incredulity. So the incredulity is this notion of just, it's, it's, it's remember in the Easter stories when it says, they disbelieve for joy, or it was, it was such good news, they just, they couldn't possibly believe it, right? It's like when you woke up on Easter afternoon and you found out that people had plunked $2.2 million into your bank account at church. You're kind of going, er? You can't, you, can't quite believe, who, you can't quite believe that happened. And then you figure out how wonderful everybody is, right? Well, he's finding out how wonderful Jesus is. And I wanted to see if I can redeem for you just a little bit um, the doubt. Because Thomas is, you know, I wouldn't mind being Thomas. Thomas is, uh, Thomas is quite a guy, right? He's quite a guy. And in his finger in Jesus' side is actually what Jesus told him to do. In the way that Jesus tells you to have your babies baptized and come to the Eucharist. It's all from the same cloth. So sort of turn the page, and let's see if we can get on better terms with Thomas. And you remember, the whole point of this is we're trying to tell a story to people who might be skeptical of our story. Well, doubters are going to be one of the primary categories of people that you're going to engage. Everybody has, has I mean, it's like clockwork. You know, parents begin to write us letters about their kids when, when they uh, turn teenagers because suddenly they discover all these things. And always, you know, for us, the reason it doesn't shake us is because their idea is that, you know, they think we've never kind of thought of this, you know, that the, that the earth might not be flat or that the Milky Way is filled with so many black holes that, you know, it's pulling everything. You know, and, and the thing is, is, everybody just needs to relax. We've been thinking about this for a long time. That's how we got to where we are. 
So Thomas, this is at the top, is this really interesting intersection of death, courage, life, doubt, and the way. And I give you the places you might know Thomas. You know Thomas from uh, first, you hear him voiced out um, kind of prominently at the death of Lazarus. You remember how the story from Lazarus goes. They come to see Jesus. He's very sick. They say, come on, let's go. Jesus says he's going to die. Jesus waits around a little bit. Then he says, okay, now we're going to go. Now they're completely confused because they thought he would go. He was alive. He lets him die. He's been dead a couple of days. That's the that's sure thing in kind of Jewish thinking that the spirit has left him. He's dead as a doornail. And then Jesus says, okay, now we're going. And people are like, they just chased us out of there, and they're looking to kill you. And then Thomas, you know, sort of says, let's go die with him. This beautiful thing of I'm committed to this guy. I mean, this is, a, this is a great statement of faith, right? Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let's go, let's go die with them. And so, you know, first, and try to presume this about other people you bump into, there are a lot of people who have, um, are very interested, you know, the common word now is spirituality, that'll die and it'll be something else in 10 years. But um, there are people who actually, I kind of think of it this way, they, there's a hint in them that they have a soul. And if you can get people to start to see that they have a soul, um, then you're part of the way home because the soul then is dissatisfied. They start to identify their dissatisfaction, not with chemicals going off in their brains, but with something more deeply. Sometimes when I talk to people about love, they talk to uh, you know, very you know, kind of scientific types. Sometimes they will just sort of insist that it's, it's, just a, it's just a chemical reaction going off in their brain, to which, of course, I always want to know what made the chemicals react. It's the same way about the Big Bang. The, you know, the, the question for that is, what made the Big Bang bang? Why did it bang? And frankly, why does it have this order rather than some other order? Because this isn't... There's all sorts of questions you can ask that are before. This is not to be antagonistic towards science or anything else, or even toward people who, you know, the new thing is speciesism. And I talked to you about this a while ago, New Zealand and especially with Australia and other places where... Um, human beings, if you assert anything about speciesism, then, or, or that the, the human species is higher level, that's speciesism. In the same way, you might remember, I can't remember who it was, um, when Stephen Hawking died, some celebrity, you know, tweeted a, a very gentle sort of thing that you would say, um, something like, he's home at rest, I pray he's home at rest and whole. And it was just a firestorm about people, about um, ableism. Right? So this anything you always want to be cautious if you get a dash ism on the back. That you would suggest that Stephen Hawking would have been it would have been better for him if he wouldn't have been in his wheelchair, right? So, you know, you just this is the world we're in and you sort of have to think about it. We have a completely different perspective, which is, you know, we can't sort of wait to be whole in body, mind, and spirit, to be what we were always intended to be from Eden. Well, this gives you an open to talk to people because it creates doubts, it creates questions. It at least gives you the possibility of telling the story and, drum roll, when you tell the story, the Holy Spirit is active because it's not your story. You're not responsible for results. You're responsible for delivery. Your job is to deliver the story. The Holy Spirit does the work, right? So we meet him one time at the death of Lazarus. We meet him again 
And I think you can see this as a sign of commitment again, not doubt. In John 14, you remember the first half of John are some of the stories that we talked about, but the whole second half of John is about Jesus going to the cross. And so here's this high priestly prayer, and Jesus is praying for the disciples, and he's telling them what's going to happen to them. And and this just goes on chapter after chapter after chapter, and he's trying to say to them, you know, this is the big finish. Time is growing short. I'm going to die. Here we go. So don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in me. This is the bottom line. Agree with me. Don't agree with anything else. So believe is just agree, right? Thanks. You know, believe in me. Believe in God. There's a lot of rooms. I'm going to prepare a place for you. It's all going to be okay, right? And I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that you may go where I'm going also. And you know the way that I'm going. Now, here's the thing. He's just explained what the way is, right? (laughs) The way is in the story. Believe. That's the way. The way is believe. That you agree with Jesus and follow him. And Thomas, you know, insistent, but honestly says, we don't know where you're going. You know, stop, shape up, right? You can just sort of, now, you've had, if you've had people near to you die, you know this frustration. People are going to die. <clears throat> there are things that need to be said. They aren't being said. You don't quite know how to start, start the conversation, or they are being said, but they don't quite make sense, and you don't understand you know, your father hasn't told you that the key to his safety deposit box is in his underwear drawer. Noah's he told you which bank that key goes to. And you're thinking, I, this would be the time now, you know, right? This apparently hasn't happened to any of you yet, but it will. You'll be standing with a safety deposit box key like this, and you're going, now I wonder of the hundred million safety deposit boxes in the world, where, where your father said, you know, it's all in the safety deposit box, you only have to try a hundred million possibilities, and then you'll have your inheritance. So it's going to be great for you, right? So um, it's, like, it's like that. Thomas is saying, hey, we don't know the way, right? Now, if you can hear that as an expression of, I want to know more rather than I want to know less, you can think more highly of Thomas. So here's a guy who's committed to the way, and he wants to know about the way. I'll die with him, and I want to know more. These, I think, are both positive attributes. And if you can see Thomas's last bit in that light, I think you're going to be better for it. Okay, so flip the page. Now we're going to four. <clears throat> Finally comes this despair of everything. And I think that, you know, what Thomas basically, the sense that Thomas has, and it's interesting, body language, right? He's the only guy not in the room. So the guy who took it most seriously, the guy who pushed the hardest, is the guy who's not in the room. Or if you could, on, on Easter Sunday, or you could say the guy who feels the despair most deeply. Right? When you love, you know, the reason you weep so much at a funeral is because you love deeply. When you care desperately about things and they go wrong, you have the deepest discipline. People don't care, whatever, move on, right? Now, Thomas is this guy who intellectually and spiritually, physically, mentally, courageously goes forward with Jesus trying to figure it out. And then, you know, he's not there, which is, you know, some people don't want to be with people. I know this is hard to grasp, but some people, you know, when they suffer, want to suffer alone. You always have to suss that out when you meet people. But he comes to this, and I would just suggest that you hear this story, perhaps, as my life has been wasted. I got bet the wrong horse. And that's a hard thing to come to late in your life when you say, you know, I bet I spent 40 or 50 or 60 years, you know, in this case, you have to think about life expects to be much shorter. Maybe it's 35 or 40 at his time. 
so maybe he's 25 or 30. And he's like, yeah, I bet, you know, 80% of my life is gone, and I got it wrong. Right? That's a desperate, that's a desperate thing. The sort of thing that can break a person. And so when you hear this, um, it makes a little more sense. So if you've got John 20 open, we read a little bit. We've heard this in the Gospels. We've read a little bit. but <clears throat> So let's just go to 19. <clears throat> and this is where 1 and 8 comes in and the eighth day and all that kind of stuff in John's Gospel. So at verse 19, on, that, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, this is Easter Sunday, the first Easter Sunday. Jesus has been having some fun on the road to Emmaus, right? The doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. So not just a little bit of thing. Jen Cole, how are you doing this morning? Great. You got any cheerleader left in you, Jen? All right, put your coffee down. Put your nose right on the doorpost. Half in, half out, just like this. Stand face this way, go right there. Put your nose right on the doorpost, half in, half out. This is figurative, this is figurative. This isn't like your mother putting you in the corner. Just sort of like, hands in, one foot in, one foot out. Yes, of the doorway. So your fingers out here should be in the air. Your nose right here should be in the wall. And your fingers over here should be in the air. That's what you should think of Jesus walking into the room, okay? Well played. So... Um, that's exactly how Jesus was when he came in. Yes, well done. You know, Jesus didn't unlock the door the way he didn't unlock the tomb. Jesus rolled the stone back at the tomb so you could get in, not so he could get out. All right? I mean, Jesus doesn't have any trouble with any of this stuff. This is not unlike Jesus, how Jesus is in the Eucharist. When people say it's in the Eucharist, Jesus is in the Eucharist, it's much like this. It's sort of like Jesus redeemed, resurrected, res redeemed isn't good, Jesus resurrected body, um, isn't subject to the limits that your body is limited. In fact, it's going to be very interesting to see what your limits are in heaven. I've often told you, I wonder in heaven if you'll be able to walk on water and fly, which would be both two fun things, right? <laughs> Who knows what was happening? But in any case, that's the way Jesus is in the Eucharist, and that's the way Jesus was in the wood or the door. He's in like sound, Luther says. It's called an illocal presence. You have to find a way to... And, you know, the point of this is, is that, of course... Jesus brings his flesh with him, and his flesh goes through the door, through the wall, through the rock, right? It's not a big deal for his flesh now because his flesh has been resurrected. You want me to explain it to you? I can't explain it to you. I can describe it to you. It looks like Jen Cole trying to do this with her nose on the doorpost, right? <laughs> Next time you think about Jesus in the Eucharist, think of Jen doing this, okay, right? So that's, that's how he gets through the door, and um, they, did, they didn't unlock it. He comes in, peace be with you. When they had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Boom, hey, look at this. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord, and Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. The Father sent me, I'm sending you. He breathes on them, and he puts the Holy Spirit on them. So this is the sending, and the word used in here is apostle. This is where the notion of the Greek word is apostle. This is where the, of the sending. So this is where you get the 12 apostles that they're sent out, and they become pastors of the church. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive, they forgive. You retain, you retain. This is all about, you know, giving on the gifts. So Jesus was the big forgiver on the cross. Now he's sending these guys out to be forgivers, giving away what he gave on the cross. This is the distribution or the touch, right? And Thomas misses all of that. So verse 24, Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, 
Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, they told the story, right? He got an opening, he comes back. Just like the Emmaus guys told him, hey, you should see it. They didn't believe it. Now they're telling Thomas. Thomas doesn't believe it. <clears throat> unless I see his hands, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, right? And it's very interesting because when you were growing up, if you grew up like me, you figured that once Jesus came out of the tomb, he was all healed up. Turns out, no. And this is very interesting for your own healing in heaven. It's going to be very interesting to kind of see each other for what we are. And it'll be very interesting that we will, in some sense, apparently carry our wounds with us. And that's going to be very interesting, right? So, and you kind of ask yourself, you know, what's that for? And the answer is, you know, for the glory of God in some sense. So in some sense, you, your perfection will include the gospel use of your wounds, whatever they might happen to be. It doesn't mean you won't, you know, your bad right knee won't work. It'll work. I mean, Jesus' Jesus's wounds, Jesus wounds are so good that he can move through a wall with them. They aren't an impediment to him in any way. But he does, in fact, carry his wounds after the resurrection. It's so interesting, right? Just as a reminder about how you got to heaven. I don't, I can't, yes, Karen. So... Will I be able to see? You will, and I hope you get to see me first. <laughs> I look forward to your As do I. I'll race you there. Right? It'll, it'll be great. But, but it's going to be, so Karen, um, you know, it's going to be so interesting to see what the Lord does with you. It's, and, I, and I just am going to tell you, I have no idea. All I can say is you'll be conformed to the wounds of Christ. So we'll all, we'll all get what Thomas got. You'll have the chance to um, say, yeah, this is wonderful. So whatever that means, um, I'll buy coffee, okay? We'll see what happens. So Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was uh, not with them when Jesus came. So the other one said, hey, we saw him. And they said, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place. So you notice it's not only see. Like he says it twice, unless I see it, no, unless I touch it. That's the way you would say it. Unless I see it, no, unless I touch it. And the word here is, you know, unless I put it, actually kind of do what's in the Caravaggio there. Well, I mean, Jesus ups the ante. The, the words are so good here. Eight days later. Now, here is the eight. So, so often when people think about, um, they say, where does the eight come from? So in our own sanctuary, there are eight bursts around the font. There are its eight sides to the altar platform. The same red stone that's around the font in a circle of eternity is the same red stone that is around the altar in a circle of eternity. So what you get in the font is nourished at the altar. These two things are the same. And frankly, to walk from the font to the altar is to be on the Emmaus Road where you come through baptism, join the church, Jesus explains what's going on to you when the scriptures is read, and your hearts burn within you, and then in the breaking of the bread, he reveals this to you. This is why you have a liturgy. You don't have two hymns and a pastor talking for 45 minutes, because when you go to the church on Sunday, you're on the Emmaus Road. You go through baptism, you have exactly the same experience that, they had, that the Emmaus disciples have. Jesus tells you, about himself and your heart's burn within you. He takes, he brushes, he breaks, he gives, 
and your eyes are open, you see Jesus, right? This is why there's a structure to the liturgy. These guys were geniuses when they put this together. This is why pastors shouldn't make it up as they go along. Pastors aren't that good, right? The church is that good. And so on the eighth day, boom, boom, the eighth day, so six, six, six is Adam's day, Friday, six, the first Adam, right? You remember all this? Adam is created on the sixth day. Jesus dies on Good Friday, the sixth day. God rests on the seventh day. Jesus, who is God, rests on the seventh day in the tomb. But on the eighth day, when things are new, when things are resurrected, Jesus comes back. So eight days later, his disciples were again in the house. Thomas was one of them. The doors were shut. But Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you, right? And this peace is actually the word that's used there is the word for Shalom in Hebrew, or this is what's characteristically described as the restoration of Eden. So the way Eden was peaceful and all was good and holy, that's the, that's the um, you know, you hear it when, when people say in the Middle East, Salam Aleikum, for example. Salam, Shalom, right? Peace. Irene in Greek, right? So you, when, when Jesus says this, it doesn't mean like we just have a nice relationship. This means... The gospel has flooded the landscape and everything is resurrected. Everything is restored. Everything is forgiven. Everybody's at peace. It's perfect, right? So what Jesus is bestowing, wishing for them, is perfection, which is so interesting because the perfection includes his wounds. It's just so interesting. So he sort of says, you know, you can have Eden back. Shalom, peace, right? Eight days, his disciples were in the house. Thomas was with them. The doors were shut. Jesus came again, just like Jen Cole, right through the door. He says, peace be with you. And then, right, so then he says to Thomas. Now, try to think about this as not as doubting Thomas. Think about this as Thomas the courageous, Thomas the intellectual, Thomas the seeker, Thomas the strong, right? Thomas the broken, right? The guy gets a bad rap. He is every one of us in some part of our life, right? A guy who thought his... His life was ruined and wasted. That's what's happening here. Peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, hey, put your finger here. Like, put it right here and see my hand. So just what Thomas asked, we're touch and see, right? Out, see and touch. Jesus says, touch and see, right? So he answers them exactly what he asked for. Touch and see. <clears throat> and put out your hand and... It's actually a really strong word. It's like thrusted into my side. So it's like, hey, get in there, you know. It's an anatomy lesson. I mean, you're kind of moving around like, oh, there's where your heart was bleeding, you know. And um, <clears throat> Do not be faithless, which is just a way of saying stop disagreeing, but agree. And, and this is why the, what he says next is so beautiful, because what Jesus has said the whole time is that he was the Messiah. He was the Lamb of God. He was God incarnate. He was there to die and be resurrected. He was there to prepare a place for them. So he basically says, just agree with the story. Listen to the story. Agree with the story. The story's yours. The story's healing. The story's good for you. The story brings peace. The story will satisfy you. And this great response of faith where all Thomas says is what Jesus says to him. Jesus says to him, I'm your Lord and your God. And he says, you're my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. So God always makes the first move. And he gives the gift. And to be alive, to believe, is simply to recognize, to say what God said. My Lord and my God. Right? It's, a, it's just this, this beautiful thing. 
So basically, this is kind of, I've done all this, but um, kind of point four. You give up being judge of things. <laughs> this is, these are your two choices. Your choice is you can run the world the way you want, or you can run the world the way Jesus says to run it. Those are your two choices. This is a very simple binary choice. Jesus is right and you're wrong, or you're right and Jesus is wrong. Right? Those are your choices. This is very simple. Right? You can scatter all the other idols and all the other ways of going after it. But just this very basic thing, right? And we're, here's why we're in such an interesting time in the world and in America. Because things, because for decades, the notion that, I mean, since the Enlightenment, the whole notion that we're right and Jesus is wrong has taken shape and now have its way with us. And now we, root, we, we, we now reap what we have sown as a world. Right? So we, we reap what we have sown. And frankly, it's not that great. Right? It's not that great. And so, you know, here is the alternative. We can say to Jesus, you're right and I'm wrong. Follow me. That means I'm going to go your way, not my way. Um, love people, don't hate them. Yeah. Live in humility, not in pride. Yeah, it's all right here. So I've given you just a reminder under number four of, we did this you know, years ago with, with um, James about how your trials are good for you, that your trials sift you and make you stronger. You see exactly this happening in Thomas. He has this difficult trial. It sifts him. It shows what he's made of. And then it pulls him on to the next thing. It makes him better. In fact, the Greek can be translated, it makes a masterpiece out of you. And that's what you see in Thomas. It's exactly what happens in the first chapter of James that he's desperately sifted, and the suffering makes a masterpiece out of him. And so, you know, we always look for our suffering to be cured, but that's not always the best thing for us. A fast cure is not always the best thing for us. Sometimes, if God will have the best use of us to make a masterpiece out of you, the suffering is deep and lasts a bit. In this case, eight days. Thomas, you know, does what Jesus asks him to do, and he comes to follow again. And then, of course, the great um, history of Thomas. It's where people regularly, if you find Christians from India, Thomas is their patron saint. Southern India has um, this group of Christians who have, uh, you know, the lore is that they got it from Thomas. And he was the guy who cared for them. So I gave you all of that. We should go. But then there's a, a, a little summary on the back page. You can read that if you want. But in any case, um, stick with it, right? Um, try to go with gentleness. Try not to be too hard on people, especially when they doubt. Continue to pray for them, tell the story, work with them, be gentle with them. And at some point, when people are desperate, when they're deeply dissatisfied, when they're broken, if you come at it the way Jesus does and you simply give this hey, have a, have a look at this. Um, then it's out of your hands. You, you deliver, and then Jesus does what he does. So, All right, good. Um, let's go to church play again. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
Okay, thanks. See you soon. Have fun.